The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, World Cup qualifier verdicts. We check out the big winners, England 5-0, Wales 5-1, the French 8-0, not every day you hear that sentence, and the big losers who maybe won't be seen in Qatar, like the people who build stadiums. Uh, Plus, the world's biggest away fixture, Norwich having a go through Aston Villa's bins, and much, much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Monday, 15th of November. Listener, so glad you could join us. Uh, today we have for you on Totally Matt Davis-Adams. Hey, Matt. Hello, James. Also here's Sasha Gurianov. Hey, Sasha. Morning, James. And Julian Laurent's joining us as well. Hello, Julian. Bonjour, everyone. Bonjour to you. Jules, so good to have you on. The, one of the stories that's most caught the eye this last week is this incredible Paris Saint-Germain story. Oh, God, yeah. What's the latest on that? So this was three PSG teammates from the women's team driving home last week after a team meal and they get ambushed by two masked men. Kira Hamrui gets dragged from the car and they they beat these two men beat her about the legs. With iron bars, yeah. With iron bars. And then the police arrest the teammate who was driving that night, who's another midfielder, mm. on suspicion of doing a Tonya Harding. Yeah. Uh, but but she's now been released. And what's the latest? They're now talking about a kind of a jealous, uh, you know, a love rival or something. Yeah, an ex-boyfriend or someone that Amrawi might have had an affair with when she was playing for Barcelona in the last three years. Uh, it's not very clear. Even Eric Abidal's name has been mentioned yeah. at some point. Uh, he was obviously the sporting director. I was, was going to say Maro Icardi, but thankfully not. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, but you never know. Um I think right now there's a lot of feelings towards Aminata Diallo, who is the teammate who got arrested and placed in custody for 35 hours, interviewed by the police, because obviously then then the story became she did a Tonya Harding because they're playing the same position, etc. And I think the mm. police, well, certainly what the police say is that at the time they had enough suspicion and, and kind of sort of proves that maybe Diallo was involved from the beginning. And it turns out that was very unlikely now that she was, that she did anything wrong. The thing that the police could not get their head around was that they're actually very, very good friends, Diallo and Amrawi. They go on holidays together. They had planned to spend Christmas together this year. For example, all of that, they have the same agent. So it's like, why, why would she do that to one of her best friends? It's weird. But then on the other hand, they had all those sort of little hints to say that, yeah, she could have well done it. So it was a bit crazy. And then obviously uh, PSG asked for the game against Lyon uh, last night in Lyon, which is the, the big game in the in the French league, uh, mm. because they're by far the two best teams. So usually they're the two finals of the French league because they win every other game. And then it's all down to the Lyon PSG and the PSG Lyon games. And the federation didn't want to postpone that game. I don't think Lyon wanted either. And ended up by Lyon winning 6-1 against the PSG team that was definitely not ready or fit mentally or even physically after not training for four days because of that to play a game of of that caliber yeah none of the team had trained for four days before the game no yeah or three days i think Mm. three days they didn't train or didn't train you know properly i think they were all very shocked the fact that diallo spent 35 hours in custody that Kashawi, who is the the third girl who was in the car, was also then arrested, kind of arrested and interrogated by the police. Mm. So it was an absolute mess. Um, I thought PSG should have forfeited that game at Lyon, not even travel, lose 3-0, 
because you knew that they would they would probably lose more than three anyway, considering they were not ready to play that game. On top of it, they had a red card after 25 minutes, which didn't help. But Lyon were too good. They had they were too hungry for it, and the PhD girls didn't want to be there anyway. So I reckon they should have just completely forfeited it. It would have been better for them. In the middle of that, also let's give some credit to Lyon, uh, who absolutely went for it. I think they saw the wounded animal and they proceeded to savage it. And um, I have to point out that the crossing was excellent. Uh, they scored, I think, four goals of crosses, three headers. And also, finally, Ada Hegerberg uh, returned yeah. among the goals. She's been, I think, coming on as a sub for the past month. But these are her yeah. first two goals. And she there was some lovely and rather wild celebrations as well. So looks like, you know, she's finally back after almost two years out. And also, interestingly, um, obviously, PSG shipped six goals last night in the previous seven league games. They conceded zero. Oh, no. wow. It's 707 days since Ada Hegberg last scored a goal. So that has been a long, long time. With She's been so unlucky with injuries. And it was very emotional after the full-time whistle was given by the referee to see all the Lyon players all coming towards Hegberg and because they knew how much that meant to her. Well, this took of getting beaten across two legs takes us nicely on to uh, this weekend's decisive round of World Cup qualifiers. Let's hear about that. <laughs> next you're listening to the totally football show sponsored by paddy power and part of the athletic podcast network olha tá daí descanto estudado bola batida segundo poste cabeceamento gol não 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 yeah that was the sound of portuguese commentators uh, coming across all too unlimited there as they watch alexander mitrovic nodding in the winner for serbia sunday night this stadio da luz Drama night, really, Sunday in World Cup qualifiers. What amounted to three finals. You had Serbia, 2-1 winners there in Lisbon, going through to the World Cup. Portugal into the playoffs. Spain, also, Sunday night, beating Sweden to seal their place at Qatar. Classic Spanish performance, possession in the mid-70s, shots on target in the low ones, but still getting the victory. (laughs) Russia, also missing out on qualifying. Sasha, after defeat on a sodden pitch in split, uh, losing to a comical own goal and Croatia taking top spot in the group. We'll, we'll come on to that that much very shortly. First of all, though, the Portugal game. Whoa, quite a match this was. And hats off to Serbia. They totally deserved this. Absolutely went for it. Um, especially I, I was watching the second half because I was, I was trying to watch uh, Sweden-Spain and then Portugal-Serbia. And then gradually, midway through the first half, I think I switched to the game with high intensity, high pace. Renato Sanchez, I thought, was pretty good. Slight positional problems. But I think the way um, that Tadic, I think, took really took the game by the scruff of the neck. And the way that Serbia, without creating too much, I thought they were ramping up the pressure in the second half. And I was looking at this game as well and comparing it to Russia-Croatia, I think it seemed to be twice as fast. And I was thinking, well, if Serbia don't win this, it's certainly a team you don't want to face in the playoffs. And eventually, I think with you know with Mitrovic coming on at halftime, he put a header just wide with about 10 minutes to go. And it was a free header as well. And the one that he buried, I don't know, I, I was jumping up and down off, off, off the sofa because it kind of felt that, this, that, that there is a sense of mission, especially about Mitrovic this season. Um, I mean, I, I don't know whatever Silva's done to him at Fulham, but it seems to be that maybe he has found his level now and that's sort of World Cup qualification. There's a nice irony, I think, in, in um, Mitrovic's revitalization being made possible by a, a Portuguese manager. Uh, and obviously that's come back to bite them slightly. Um, on Sunday night, yeah, 20 and 17 in the league for him. And what, it was almost a, a year to the day since he missed the penalty in the shootout against Scotland that, that cost them uh, their place 
in in the Euro. So yeah, nice irony there, and, and shame for Rui Patricio as well. I mean, the presentation mm. before the game, hundredth cap, and then he goes and chucks one in from Tadic. Kind of spoke to um, the Portuguese Malays, but it, crazy to think that a squad and a team that good couldn't qualify automatically out of that group. It's got to be, I don't know, if it's not the squad, maybe there should be some fairly serious questions asked of Fernando Santos. Well, um, I, I bet Jules is ready to ask them. Just just to say they had a great start. Renato Sanchez putting them ahead a couple of minutes into the game. But then it all started to go wrong as, as Serbia built in confidence. That that uh, shot that Rui Patricio, I'm not quite sure how he allowed it to bounce in. It did take a massive deflection off a Portuguese defender. But do you want to have a pop at Fernando Santos then, Jules? Yeah, and it's very easy anyway. It's not even if like I had to force myself because... For me, the biggest problem is Fernando Santos. I mean, 2016 is great and the, the greatest achievement in, in Portugal's football history, no problem. They did it in a certain way that that suited them at the time. But now this is the most talented squad they've ever had. It's certainly one of the most talented squads in the whole world, not just in Portugal history. And yet for them to play so poorly, so bad, and not just in this game against Serbia, but against Ireland, they were terrible. Mm. Again, Azerbaijan, it was Azerbaijan before when Ronaldo bailed them out right at the end, was terrible. Um, this, is just not, this is not good enough. And for me, in the last five years, with Santos, we've seen no evolution in the way they play. When this is a team that should be bossing games, like Spain do, very much so in terms of possession and the style of play. But with the forwards that they have... Should you know? Should create chances. The fullbacks that they have. I mean, Joao Cancelo is the one of the best fullbacks in the world. And in the game yesterday, it looks like his nan was playing. And I just think that if on top of that, so if already you you don't have the proper game plan and setup, then he makes some substitutions that are the worst substitutions I've ever seen in my life. I mean, how Jogo Jota played 83 minutes yesterday was beyond me. This is ridiculous. Mm. He was completely anonymous and yet he left him on the page. Danado came off, but I think he was not fully fit anyway. But So between taking off the wrong players and switching to a back five, for example, because he was so scared of, of that second goal coming at some point, and of course, eventually he came. For me, Santos is the problem and he should not even be in the job anymore. Crikey. Uh, meantime, the game you left, and I think most of us did uh, early on, Sasha, Spain, Sweden, probably the least said the better. 73% possession, that late Alva Morata goal, Bosch. Once again, some question marks over the substitutions for Sweden with Forsberg, who looked the most dangerous for Sweden in the second half, uh, getting taken off. Can I have a quick mention for, for Sweden? Uh, yes. It seems to be that, that to Zlatan is taking on a new meaning. So since his return, they've basically blown their World Cup qualification hopes and now they're in the playoffs. And yesterday, I know he was only under the sub, but... Sweden, in a game, they really had to win. Like, zero shots on target. I mean, mm. they're, they're basically almost as bad as Russia, on whom we're about to get onto them. Uh, but also, like... They had chances, it, though. Russia didn't have They anything. did, they did. They, exactly, but that's the thing. So they were a little... They, they were, obviously, with Forsberg, they actually created uh, a couple of chances that, that he mm. put, put wide. But then after Forsberg was off, like, I, I, I couldn't really see what they're going to do with this. But also, I mean, from Spain, it almost felt like very old-school Spain, as in lots mm. of the ball and the first shot on target in, like, 83rd minute or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought, like, these last two games, because, obviously, Sweden also lost to... Um, Echvica uh, Kvartselia um, brace against Georgia, which was quite surprising. Um, and yeah, they just, uh, the, whole, the whole World Cup qualification bit has now gone to pieces. And to be honest, the way they're playing, um, I, I don't think anybody would mind getting them in the playoffs at this rate. Particularly not Italy, eh? Narrative? 
Let's talk about <laughs> Russia. Yeah. You were nine minutes away, Sasha. Nine minutes away from qualifying on that quagmire. Yeah, but, we, but they weren't really. They weren't really. Were they not? Um, because I, I was watching the first half and I was thinking, can it rain a bit harder, please? Um, and it did rain a bit harder at half time, so that the only thing that Croatia, because basically the second half Croatia couldn't play, um, all they could do was chuck in loads of crosses. Uh, having said that, Russia spent the whole game as if they were in treacle. I mean, Valery Karpin, the manager after the game, was just basically, and you could see during the game as well, he was furious with the way his team was playing because they couldn't get out. And I think in the second half, the pass completion was like 43% or something. So basically, as soon as the ball went out, it came straight back on. There was periods of intense pressure, uh, which I thought the defenders did reasonably well uh, to hold out against it but there is only so much and eventually you know in these conditions I think the Croats put in like some like 48 crosses and it, again textbook it was crossed that went out and got put back in and one unlucky bounce in this situation is, is all it took because after that Russia couldn't recover I think it was some shocking stats so Smolov was playing centre forward uh, he completed one pass in the opposition half he was replaced by Zabalotny aka Swampy he completed two passes in the opposition half so you were looking at this game is thinking well if only Zuba and Karpin didn't fall out at one point then he they could actually, you know, maybe this was the game for Zuba, but now Zuba is completely out of the picture. Um, and yeah, and Russia are going uh, into the playoffs. And the thing is, if you look at uh, Valery Karpin's games in charge, I mean, it's five wins, a draw and a defeat, but they've been better defensively. But going forward, there really hasn't been any you know, anything uh, to, to, to the forward play. I mean, they beat Cyprus uh, 6-0 the other day. Um, kind of seizing on mistakes, some individual quality. But here, I mean, they came up against a much better team. I mean, you look, look they're up against uh, the Bros, Modric and Perisic. I mean, Russia does, don't have that quality of players. And eventually, I mean, that, that quality would have told. And I think if the pitch wasn't sodden and if they weren't like, like four inches deep in water, it would have been a much more comfortable win for Croatia. Mm, Croatia, they do get their place at the World Cup, uh, along with Spain and Serbia from Sunday's games into the playoffs. Go Russia! and Portugal and Sweden. They'll take place at the end of March. 12 teams go in. Then after six one-legged semifinals and three one-legged finals, three come out at the other end. The draw is on the 26th of November. That's uh, Friday week. It's looking interesting. Oh, by the way, the Premier League have also announced their dates for the kind of pause around the World Cup. So next season, uh, you probably saw this, starts on the 6th of August, a little bit earlier, stops on the 18th of November, which is only about a week before the World Cup. That's goes very away. close, yeah. Mm. A lot of the countries, a lot of the national team head coaches are not happy at all by how short right. their time with the players will be before the start of the tournament. Yeah, it seems... Uh, but then, how, what, what are you going to do? So they, they stop on the 18th of November and then over a month later, about five weeks later, on the 26th of December, Premier League begins again on Boxing Day, of course, uh, through to the 28th of May. It's going to be a weird one. I was trying to sort of fit fit the whole thing into the calendar. So I think Premier League will end up with at least two midweek rounds before the break. All of the Champions League, I think, gets played before the World Cup as well. And I'm looking at the going, what the are you going to stages. do with it? Yeah, the group stage. I think it's all six games before the World Cup. And then, mm. so what are you going to do with the League Cup, for example? Because uh, you end up going like Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. Uh, I think from the start of August, then the World Cup. For, for all the um, national team players and then they come back and I'm like looking and going um, I think people are going to start breaking down and don't wow. forget at the end of this season they've got rounds of the Nations League in June as well which is going to make their holidays even shorter you start in August earlier this is just crazy absolutely crazy and also there is international break in September as well they've, 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 sh- they've shoved one in like last weekend of September it's, it's just it looks very very cramped to be honest very weird yeah 
Token Englishman, though, um, it, it, it might work in England's favour because, you know, that whole lions in the autumn, lambs in the springtime kind of thing. Maybe England will actually go into a World Cup in, in some Famous sort of peak words. form. Yeah, 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 out yeah, the first, yeah absolutely. Out in the group stage. <laughs> England in cracking form right now. We'll come on to that very shortly as we check on what else happened in a pretty a wild few days of qualifying. Friday, Scotland uh, sealed a playoff spot with their 2-0 win in Moldova. Gilmore, McKinn, Nathan Patterson, oh, yeah. what a moment! England put five past Albania with a hat-trick from Hotspur Harry. Meanwhile, in Rome, Italy's crucial game with Switzerland was won all with 89 minutes gone when Jorginho stepped up to take a penalty for the win and Roberto Baggio did. The group now goes down to Monday evening's matches. Saturday, it was France uh, 8, Kazakhstan nil. Mbappé getting four of them. While Group G blew wide open. Norway drawing with Latvia. Netherlands laughing at that and promptly blowing a two-goal lead of their own to draw in Montenegro, while Turkey beat Gibraltar. So now all three teams... Norway, Netherlands and Turkey could take top spot on Tuesday. Netherlands will be hosting Norway, while Turkey travel to Montenegro. Crikey. All right, amidst all of that, that big win for England over Albania. Matt, you went to Wembley to see this. Sure did, yeah. I had a lovely time as well. It's not often that I go to a football game just as a fan, and it's even less often that the team that I'm going to support are 5-0 up at halftime. So, yeah, it was a, mm. a very pleasant evening all told and and not just for me I should add one one of those games where a bunch of players who were totally out of form for their club side Stones, Maguire, Phillips, Sterling, Kane all able to produce for England which is it's got to be a big credit to Gareth Southgate I, I feel like there was a bit of kind of antipathy toward the news that he is likely to sign a contract till the end of the next Euros but that is definitely something that, that goes massively in his favour that he seems to be able to get a tune out of uh, this core group of players pretty consistently. I mean, kind of difficult to, to read a whole lot into this game, given that Albania didn't really show up and then had to make two substitutions because of injury in the first half. But but interesting that, you know, they switched to, to three at the back again, England, and, and look much better for it. They, they don't concede goals generally, 15 clean sheets in the past year. Uh, could have been different if um, if Albania put that chance away after Walker's mistake at 1-0. But yeah, the two holding midfielders supposedly look much freer in this game, particularly Henderson. Phillips kind of let him go for a wonder and you, you saw that for, for not only Henderson's goal, but the one he set up for Kane as well. And yeah, old school Harry Kane. Um, massive, massive time in his career. The, the World Cup, what realistically the, the last chance he'll get to win a major trophy in his career, I would suggest. So important period for him and, and he went level with Jimmy Greaves in terms of England's all-time goal scorers and he needs 10 more to beat Rooney's record. You'd expect him to do that in the next, what, year, 18 months, potentially? Hmm. Huge impressive stuff. You say Albania with one or two issues in the first half, but they had been pretty tight at the back. Uh, I think they conceded, what, seven in eight games before shipping five in in the first half against England. Uh, Harry Maguire amongst the scorers and then sticking it to the critics afterwards, although after he'd done the whole kind of fingers in my ears but then cupping my ears and a slightly confused uh, set of celebrations, he then denied that it was pointed at anybody. Yeah, well, obviously, as a as an England and wrestling fan, I particularly enjoyed Gareth Southgate questioning whether perhaps it was just a Hulk Hogan tribute. Um, oh, which did he say that? Was, 
yeah, which Maguire was um, was not able to confirm. But right. so what Southgate did say in his in his press conference before the San Marino game, which is tonight as we're recording, is mm. just that you know these days things that get said on the TV broadcast are used as pull quotes for newspapers the next day, and the likes of Roy Keane know that very well and want to keep themselves relevant. And Southgate saying, "Oh, I don't really have a problem with that," but maybe some of our players do. Again, just sort of Gareth Southgate giving sensible answers to questions and diffusing them and making things easier for his players. And yeah, that's why it's it's kind of good that he's the England manager, I think, even if he does have limitations in, in certain other aspects. Right. Uh, not, not sure how many people felt that Harry Maguire uh, necessarily answered the criticisms against him by scoring a goal for England uh, rather than, say, defending well for Man United, which is kind of the issue. And I feel like... Man United in general have this kind of thing of turning criticism to almost like a personal attack as opposed to in any way uh, produced by their own faults. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the other day saying, I enjoy the criticism, bring it on, which seems a bit weird given that the criticism is because he's doing badly. So suggesting <laughs> I want more people complaining that I'm not doing my job properly. Anyway, that's, that's a subject for another time perhaps. As you say, England uh, away in San Marino, on Monday night, almost 28 years to the day, Matt, since that game away at Don't San play Marino. the clip. Don't play the clip, please. Play Unless the it's clip. the Jonathan Pierce one where, it, where he's reading the, the advert there, out and then says that San Marino have scored. Is there a clip I, of that? <laughs> there must be somewhere, yeah, but I don't, well, I don't know. I mean, I've seen it as a transcript, <laughs> but I've never, just for anyone who doesn't know what you're talking about, Jonathan Pierce is reading out a sponsored message at kickoff. Uh, yeah, so. Jonathan Pierce on Capital, San Marino of England, 1993. Welcome to Bologna on Capital Gold for England versus San Marino with Tenants Pilsner, brewed with Czechoslovakian yeast for that extra Pilsner taste, and England are one down. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Magnificent. Uh, They came back to win 7-1. Of course, it wasn't enough to take England to USA 94. Crikey. 7-1's an impressive scoreline, Jules, but not as impressive as... 8-0. Eight nil. <laughs> that was good. It was good. Kazakhstan were they're not very good. Um, especially away from home. But France were good because they scored early, because Deschamps, who is the most conservative manager than we all know, uh, made a really bold call by putting Kingsley Coman as a right wing back, mm. which is like I guess during the night when Deschamps thought about their training before the day before the day before the game, and we all knew that he had that in his mind. He must have woken up with spots everywhere on his face and like, what am I doing? I can't have Coman as a right wing back. This, this is not me. And yeah, he went ahead. Dede Coman was amazing. Uh, and we need to see more of him to see if he can actually play really in that position against a real football team that actually attacks at some point. Uh, but certainly against Kazakhstan, that was great. And obviously, Kylian scored four goals. The first French player to score uh, four goals since Just Fontaine in 1958 in that World Cup. Uh, yeah, the last quadruple that we've had. Right. Fontaine who? Just, just Fontaine. No, but he must have another name, no? It's, it's an old joke. You're not with me on this. Okay, never mind. We'll move on. <laughs> it's an old joke. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. First man to score four goals. And nobody scored a competitive hand-trick for France since 1985. For context... England have had 14 competitive hat-tricks in that period, which in many ways is the real international trophy, some people uh, would say. Anyway, Mbappe, extraordinary stuff. 22 years of age still. 
Only the 12th player, Jules, to get a 10 out of 10 rating in L'Equipe. Woof. He did because he also gave an assist uh, on Karim ben- one of Karim Benzema's goals. Uh, it, was, it was outstanding. He explained after the game when we asked him about the performance and everything that he feels so much happier in his life. I think he, he gave a few interviews recently where he explained what happened in the summer, the fact that he wanted to go to Real Madrid and ended up staying, which we knew, but for him to say it uh, was, I think, quite important. And he is going through a really good period, even with PSG and now with the national team, on what was a very emotional night as well, because it was six years to the day uh, from the Paris attacks uh, that killed 131 people at the time. Mm. And for Antoine Griezmann, who scored a penalty, and by the way, the, the whole front three, Benzema, Griezmann, Mbappé all scored. But Antoine Griezmann, whose sister was at the Bataclan that night, who escaped death somehow. The, the tribute was really emotional. He had a T-shirt with, with a big heart on it and the date of the Paris attack. So yeah, he felt really emotional. And to, to win the game that way with the Mbappé quadruple and book their place for the World Cup was, was very, very good. As you say, the opposition weren't much. But still, France are looking pretty ominous. Sash and Matt, what, what do you think about France? Are they the current favourites? I don't really think you can make a judgment after a game against Kazakhstan because I mean, it's like right. playing against holograms. Um, we have seen this before. Stas Pokatilov, once he <laughs> runs out in the 10th minute and gets surrounded by Mbappe, you could see like it's, it's playing against like a Division 4 team. So I don't think it's representative. I think it's nice for France to get this sort of run out. Um, but I think also if you look at the qualifying campaign so far, they made a bit of a meal of it. Um, I in mean, a, we've quite just won the Nations group. League. What more do you want from us? Like, yeah, to but make if you look at the qualifying com- campaign against Bosnia, Ukraine, Finland, yeah, you, I, th- I, I know, think I you, those sides have made it a little bit awkward for you. Um, so I wouldn't get carried away straight away, especially you know, after France, Kazakhstan. What are we going to say? Germany are favourites now because they beat Liechtenstein 9-0. Yeah, well, they're in there, <laughs> I reckon. Um, Finland, by the way, are going to be facing France again on Tuesday and it's a big game for the Finns. They need to avoid defeat to confirm their playoff place because otherwise Ukraine might take it. They're away in Bosnia, crikey. Uh, I did appreciate, though, in this game, the fact that France were 3-0 up at half-time but then scored more goals in the second half. So rare you get that, no? Usually it's like England, five in the first half and then shut up shop. Anyway, well done, France. Uh, Around the world, Ghana qualified from African uh, qualifying uh, Sasha your face they put South Africa out did you with see the a penalty? penalty I did see yeah, the penalty. penalty just fell over oh my god because you know there's no VAR in the in the African qualifiers there's no VAR which is again I mean either you do it for everyone but you can't have right. and I understand the cost and I understand everything the stadiums all of that of course but if you're South Africa this morning, you feel like, come on, VAR would have put that right and the outcome might have been completely different. So it's right. crazy. It was an extraordinarily bad decision. Uh, the player lo- sort of trips over backwards and the referee decides that there's probably a good reason for that, but there wasn't. Anyway, and, and South Africa out, 1-0 victory for, for Ghana. Hmm. Uh, Brazil also have qualified the first South American nation uh, to book their place. Uh, thanks to Thursday night's win over Colombia. Uh, 1-0, Lucas Paqueta of Leon with the goal there. Brazil haven't conceded a goal in their last 10 home qualifiers. They are six points clear at the top of South American qualifying of Argentina, who they'll be facing in Argentina on uh, Tuesday evening, if you fancy that. Argentina-Brazil, 11.30. Behind Argentina, six teams separated by only four points battling over 
two more qualifying places and, and the other uh, playoff spot. And uh, South American World Cup qualifying goes on till March. There's another five rounds to go. Madness. Madness. All right. Italy, Switzerland. We'll be talking about that very shortly. And Tuesday's Group G, Denouement. But shortly, though, a quick break from the international break as we talk about Norwich and that. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line and we're speaking to Kevin in Dagen. And Kevin, what's your issue, mate? It's the hardware stores, isn't it? They're all out of white emulsion. Uh, sorry, Kevin, what's that got to do with football, pal? Well, it's international break, mate, and I'd rather watch paint dry. You can make the international break that bit more exciting with Paddy Power's Bet Builder. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much online bet builders with min two legs only. Max one free five pound bet per customer. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Listeners, several nations have now booked their place at next year's elite football event. And if you'd like to know what that feels like, then why not buy a ticket to the Totally Football Show Live, uh, which also takes place pretty much every four years. Anyway, this one will be on the 1st of February 2022 at the Leicester Square Theatre. Sounds like fun. Uh, do go to leicestersquaretheatre.com for details. Jules, French Cup action this weekend. Seventh round. AS Venus, yeah. am I saying that right? Ten-time champions of Tahiti. Yep, that AS Venus. Yeah. Uh, making the 20,000-mile round trip for their French Cup tie with uh, French fourth-tier side Trelissac. AS Venus, ten-time champions of Tahiti, losing 2-0. Away fans leaving early to beat the traffic, as the wags on Twitter commented. One of the beauty of the French Cup early rounds is that all those teams from you know the West Indies, Guadeloupe, Martinique, La Réunion... Tahiti, if they've qualified on their island, then come right. to come to the main country to play, you know, funded by the federation and that money because it's expensive obviously to travel based. Mm. So, and sometimes we've had great stories of teams from, you know, those that part of the world to do well, never too far, but yeah. So it's if they qualify, do they just stick around for the next round or do they go home? No, first? they come back. They right. so they come home and then come back again. Right. Okay. And if there's a replay, there's no replays in France. No replays. Okay. No. Excellent. Is that the is that the longest distance of any kind of domestic tie in 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 the world of football? He he must be. Yeah. Even even mm. in Russia, I don't think if you go from one side to the other, it's twenty thousand miles. So. Yeah. So Vladivostok to Kaliningrad, uh, ex Königsberg. Yeah, I think that's less than Tahiti to France. Yeah. I think the other one that's not as quite as far as. Uh, New Caledonia, but I don't think they have a team this year in the cup. No, right. Because I'm just looking at so Martinique, Guadeloupe, French Guyana, yeah. uh, Réunion, and a team yeah, from Mayotte. It's quite far, but I still think it's not still, as far yeah, as Tahiti. Not as far as Tahiti. Right. And Newcastle Norwich is probably a similar duration, you know, with the A roads and that. But uh, And the train that is so bad in England. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, a neat little segue because next up, let's talk about Norwich. Club football bravely bidding for a share of the kind of. Uh, a narrative mind space through the international break. Firstly, with uh, Steve Gerrard confirmed Aston Villa, then in a classic one stays, one goes manoeuvre, Lampard out of the Norwich running. With Dean Smith, uh, of freshly fired by Aston Villa fame, now confirmed as the Canaries' next boss. Uh, does this mean that Steve Gerrard is next after Dean Smith at Norwich? And does he know this? 
Uh, well, for the answer on that and other important questions, let's get the latest from the Athletics Norwich correspondent, Michael Bailey. Uh, Michael, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, and a, a busy one for you with the news that Dean Smith is uh, confirmed. Uh, what's the mood like there in Norwich? Uh, it's It's been a very interesting week, I think. I, I think initially when, when Dean Smith's name was linked, I think Norwich City fans in general, if I generalise, were a bit like, oh, really? And they were you know, probably hoping, oh, but Frank Lampard's a bit more exciting and, oh, Keaton Knudsen, that's that's weird. Um, so I suppose from their perspective, so I suppose... Um, in that in that in that um, scenario, uh, maybe it wasn't one that caught particular light. But but actually, I mean, I've I've found that the more you sort of sit on it, the more you can find ways that it that it does make sense for Norwich. And actually, they they've probably done quite well to get him actually. And uh, and I think the supporters are probably coming round to a to a similar to a similar trail of thought. I mean, ultimately, come Saturday, everyone inside Carrow Road is going to need to get behind him anyway. And and then mm. the proof in the pudding is immediately on the pitch. Mm. They do seem to be a particularly uh, long-suffering set of uh, supporters uh, Norwich's. It, it's fair to say that Dean wasn't part of Norwich's thinking when they got rid of Daniel Farker, given that he was still working for Villa at the time then. Um, that was my initial thought, but I, I think it's it's since really come to light that Stuart Webber actually interviewed Dean Smith for the Huddersfield job back in 2015, which he gave to David Wagner. And... Um, I know the sporting director keeps a keeps a list of potential managerial targets, whether whether the current one is doing well or not. And um, I, I believe Dean Smith has, has been on his list ever since that interview. He's always been someone he's wanted to work with. So I think actually he was probably deemed as ungettable when they sacked Daniel Farker because he was still in a job at, at Villa. And now whether people had a inkling that that might come to an end, um, it probably depends on how how quickly Villa was speaking to Stephen Gerrard, but. You know, ultimately, I think once once that sat, it was it's obviously incredibly fortunate timing, essentially, because the fact that Dean Smith did get sacked and then was open to having a job immediately after, which I don't think many managers would necessarily be in that position. Um, then they jumped on him, and, and from what I can tell, Stuart Webber's really looking forward to working with him, and I think that's probably the key relationship that that one between sporting director and, and head coach at Norwich at Norwich City. Mm. He had done great things at, at Villa. That remarkable turnaround after the lockdown, uh, was that last season? I get confused these days. But prior to that, taking charge of Villa uh, down in 14th place in the Championship, winning promotion, taking them to a League Cup final, making them a Premier League force and that. It, it is slightly unusual, slightly underwhelming to for the, for the supporters to have basically a new manager who's literally just got sacked by kind of one of your relegation rivals, though. Yeah, and I suppose there's a big question as to how much that whole experience did actually take it out of Dean Smith. Plus, it was his you know boyhood club, and maybe it was just a narrative, but certainly a lot got made of how much he wanted that job and and how important and special it was to him. So, I think if any of us had a job like that, it would probably be quite draining if we then lost it. So, um, I mean, I don't want to sit here and ramp a load of pressure up on him, but I, I do kind of feel like it is one where he will probably have to get, hit the ground running. You know, Norwich have made the whole change from Daniel Farker because they want a coach in that can extract more from these players. And the position Norwich are in means that they don't really have much time to do that um, if they are going to actually survive. Um, and the game, the run of games they've got coming up with Southampton and Wolves and Newcastle coming up too, you know, those fixtures come around quite quickly as well. So... Um, I don't know how long the honeymoon period will, will be or how strong it is, but I guess that's where we are now. So we might as well lay back and enjoy a bit of the sun. 
No, absolutely. Michael, to what extent does changing the manager resolve the issues that have uh, seen Norwich get off to this disastrous start? Oh, yeah, now that is the question. Because I think um, I, if, if we're looking at Norwich's recruitment in the summer, you know, they... I mean, you said earlier that Norwich, Norwich City supporters have had it difficult. I mean, they have had two wonderful championship seasons and, and they loved how, how those panned out. So they're probably just used to the ebb and flow, I guess. But last season, Emi Buendia was crucial. Oliver Skip was was crucial. And both those players went, even though Norwich then spent a lot of money on new players. Um, and some of them, you can see that there is real promise and they, they could deliver more if there is a coach that could get more out of them. I, I think of someone like Milo Rashica. We've barely seen Billy Gilmore to really judge him. So there are, there are players there. Um, likewise, there are others that have, you know, Christos Scholis came with a lot of potential, but his last appearance on the pitch, he looked pretty lost and he looked like an 18-year-old who, who, who's found it quite difficult to settle. And, and Josh Sargent has, has worked hard, but I'm, I'm still, I think it's questionable about the quality he has. And ultimately, Dean Smith will put out a team against Southampton and it will all be the same players. So I think that is a, a huge question mark. Norwich are convinced that they, they have got a squad that can you know, keep them safe, as they probably would. Uh, would do and they do think that a coach a better coach can get more out of them so it, it really is over to Dean Smith at this point and you can read more from Michael Bailey on that appointment uh, at theathletic.com excitingly there are at least two Norwich versus Aston Villa fixtures to come this season Matt yeah I, just off the back of what Michael was saying I'm absolutely staggered that the reaction from Norwich fans would be anything other than unbridled joy that they've managed to get Dean Smith as manager I, I think it, it, Villa did him dirty you know all right he lost five games in a row which is not a good look in the Premier League for anybody but I saw Norwich the other week and it was the most pitiful display I've ever seen from a Premier League team they're absolutely dreadful I think there's been a kind of a narrative peddled this season that they've shown a bit more ambition by spending some of the money that they got for for Emi Buendia. They've spent it really, really badly. Michael mentions Josh, Josh Sargent there. He's miles away from being a Premier League player. Uh, this is a club that, what, been relegated five times, uh, promoted five times, relegated four times in the last 13 seasons. So they're not short of money. When they don't have the pot for being in the Premier League, they get parachute payments. They They... they have very little ambition to do anything other than keep bouncing between the two divisions and keep cashing the checks. And I'm really surprised that Dean Smith thought that that was the first place that he could get, or the best place that he could get back in. I think if he'd held off, he would have been able to get a better job than a Norwich side who, on the face of it, a well-run, parsimonious club and Stuart Webber gets loads and loads of praise. But I just don't see the evidence to back it up when they get to the Premier League. And, And I think that Dean Smith is a better manager than a Norwich side who are going to end up getting relegated anyway. You don't think that they're savable? No, no, not not with the squad that they've got. Mm, all right. Uh, meantime, Stephen Gerrard confirmed, I think maybe confirmed since our last show. Uh, so, oh, Sasha, how do you feel about that? Ooh. Well, I, th- I think uh, we're all looking at 11th of December, obviously, his uh, visit to Anfield. Mm. Uh, I think it makes sense as a step up because... I, get, I do get the feeling at Rangers after last season, you know, where, where, where next? Because uh, I think he's done reasonably well at Europe. He went and defeated um, Rangers' greatest season in, I think, 125 years. Uh, and it also in terms of, you know, coping with pressure, okay, I know that, you know, they played a large chunk of his uh, time at Rangers without fans, but, you know, there is off-the-pitch pressures 
adventures that he had to cope with, bring them up to Celtic. So I think he's, he's coped with that admirably. I think also Michael Beale, his assistant, uh, with an interesting CV, has also had the major role to play there. So Villa seems to make sense um, in terms of a step up. Like they're in the free fall um, at the moment. It would be interesting to see how long it would take him to stop that. And also... I, th- I heard some people say, well, if he fails at Villa, you know, what, what, what's next after? I mean, what's next for him after that? I think, you know, technically he could fail at Villa. I still think he will get another job after that. In terms of this being an audition for Liverpool, I still mm. think it's too early. I have my reservations about Gerard because I think Gerard carries a lot within him. He's not like Carragher. I mean, Carragher cares deeply, but then it's all out there. Uh, you all know about it. I think, I think Gerard with Liverpool, he might be too emotionally involved. I don't think he'd admit it. Uh, but I think the way he carried himself as Liverpool captain and the way, I mean, with that, obviously with that fall, I think it takes a lot in him. And I think maybe to manage Liverpool, you do have to be that little bit more removed. I know there's counterexamples to that, but after Klopp, I don't think it's Gerrard's time just yet. Although it is Man City against Aston Villa on the final day of the season, so he could finally win Liverpool the title. Depending on <laughs> how they, sorry, Jules. I just, but what's failing for Gerard Villa? Villa are not going to go down. They're far too good to go down. So what is tenth a failure? Well, the thing is, tenth, a failure. It, 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 is yeah, I mean, a failure. Yeah, th- th- this is a good question. I mean, I think you know, if if they stay mid table, I think as they currently would like, uh, what do you see that as? I I, th- I think this season he should be okay to keep them mid table as long as you know. I think people don't suddenly expect that they should be, I don't know, top six or something because I, I don't think they are. I think sort of mid-table is the right place for them. So maybe a couple of years to bet in there, get used to the Premier League and build on that. What happens if he loses five games in a row? That, that That's failing then, isn't it? And, and he gets sacked. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, 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 that is... What, what's the run of fixtures, actually? I don't have it, I don't have it to hand. Can they... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have the run of fixtures to hand. Uh, but Brighton, Palace, City, Leicester, Liverpool, Norwich, first six. Kind of a 50, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, they've got the two strong sides there, but the rest of them he should be able to do okay in. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting shout. Yeah, if he starts off with a string of defeats, how long will they hold on to him for? But I mean, he has a relationship with Perslow as well, so uh, maybe they will stick by him, if, if, even if it's a bad start. You, you'd think so, no? I mean, hmm. I was I commentated on the Rangers-Lyon game in the Europa League for French TV, and although they lost that game, I just thought the structure of his team and the way they played, certainly the identity that this team had, was great and I think Villa have a really good squad and I can see him doing really well there with the players that he have that suits the way he wants to play and the way his his Rangers team certainly was playing has been playing so I think this could be this could go really well Excellent Alright as for Man United meanwhile Stevie G's gone Eddie Howe's gone Dean Smith's gone soon there'll be no more chairs to sit on when the music stops if you know what I mean although uh, Jules is this right that they're once more it's all about Zinedine Zidane is that is that right? Is he now the candidate numero un? I read, I read the same article as you, um, you? on Sunday, James, mm. which says they're, gonna, they're hoping to be able to persuade him of maybe take, <laughs> there's a lot of... The fact is, he doesn't speak the language. He doesn't speak English at all. Not even, what? you know, hello. And, and he sees that as a big problem because his management is all about, a lot about man management. So already right. you arrive in a country that you don't know because you've never playing mm. in, you, because you never wanted to, because you were not already back then attracted by the Premier League anyway, mm. where you don't speak the language. So you'd have to go through an interpreter 
for your press conferences, your training sessions. Of course, Varane is there and Cristiano is there. So, but this is not enough. And most importantly, probably, is that he mm. he knows that the French job is his whenever Deschamps steps down after the the World Cup, maybe after the 2024 Euros. Although currently Deschamps' contract finishes in December 2022, so in a year time. Zidane will be in that job. This is his. There's no, there's no debate. We all know it. It's all agreed. It's all done. As soon as Deschamps is out, because he decides to be out, or the World Cup is a, is a catastrophe, then, then it's right. Zidane. So why would you take a, a, a job for one year no. knowing that then the job that you dream and you always dreamed of is there for you? It's, it doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense. You're absolutely right. Sorry. Thanks for clearing that one up for us. No, 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 but it's, it's interesting Excellent. because he's, no, the, no, he's yeah. the one available that mm. is, that is the biggest name. So, yeah, I can see the links. But, and why would he want to go into this mess right now anyway? I, I'm not convinced either. All right, we'll move on. Back to international football uh, with some big games on Monday for Scotland, Wales and above all, Italy, who will take a trip down memory lane and next... We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which might just come in handy when Brighton start being Brighton again and go back to outperforming their XG and not winning. Free match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match shots. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. November 1957. Two-time world champions Italy go to Windsor Park in Belfast to face Northern Ireland in hopes of qualifying for the World Cup in Sweden. Italy needed a draw, and they got one, in a game which repeatedly descended into a brawl. Reports from both sides describing the Italian keeper getting clattered and then a pitch invasion which saw Italian players assaulted by home supporters. One player, defender Rino Ferrario, knocked out by fans and then carried to the dressing room. But to make matters worse, because the designated referee for the match, the director of the Budapest Opera House, no less, didn't arrive at the game in time due to fog in Heathrow, the game was then designated a friendly, which meant Italy had to go back to Belfast in mid-January 1958 on a freezing day to play again. Italy, under their manager, Dr Alfredo Foni, went with, and no one to this day is sure why, a side packed with naturalised South Americans because they appreciate those kind of conditions. And <laughs> Foni, who was known as a very much a defensive pragmatist, uh, for this game went with three front men and a couple of flair midfielders. And Danny Blanchfeld's Northern Ireland duly beat them 2-1, qualifying Northern Ireland for the first ever World Cup. 
and denying Italy for the first time an appearance at the greatest occasion in the game. Wow. It's all a bit ominous for Italy, you'd say, because Monday night, uh, 55 years later... It's again. <laughs> they're back, and again with qualification on the line. And you know what, Jules, I think it is. I see a 1-1 draw. Italy is so going into the playoffs here. They missed out on 2018. They won this summer at the Euros, which, you know fueled the narrative that that game with Sweden was some bizarre blip. But Friday's 1-1 draw in Rome, what do you think? It confirms they have real issues, real issues above all with scoring. Yeah, yeah and Mancini said the anxiety got to them for that game against Switzerland. I mean, of course, if Jorginho scores that pen, <laughs> and why is he even changing his, his run-up to the pen? I mean, like, keep, keep doing what you were doing before, even if you missed one. This, was, this felt so strange. And then obviously blasted it over the bar. It would be different now, but I, I did think the pressure got to them. They didn't play well, although Barella has a great chance early on, even even before mm. um, Di Lorenzo scores his header. But I do think that this is this is the toughest place to go when you are in this position for Italy. Switzerland are going to batter Bulgaria. We know that even with all the players missing, that they also have, like Italy, but going to Northern Ireland, who are going to be fired up, full crowd. They haven't considered a goal in the three home games that they've had so far albeit never against a team of the calibre of Italy, but still, and Italy, no Ciro Immobile, no Verratti, a lot of players missing. And they're just going to make that so difficult for the Italians that I agree with you, I'm a bit, I'm a bit tense for you already. Right. Well, so here's the situation. It is now a straight shootout between Switzerland, who host Bulgaria Monday night, and Italy, who go to Northern Ireland. The two teams, Switzerland and Italy, are level on points. Italy's goal difference is two better than Switzerland. So assuming both teams win, then Italy just have to make sure that they that their winning margin is within two of Switzerland's. If they finish level on goal difference, it's the Swiss that go through as group winners because they scored a goal in Friday night's game away in Rome. Crikey. And since the Euros, Italy have had six games... Two wins. One was at home to Lithuania when they basically scored all of their goals. And they had, as well, a 2-1 win against Belgium in the third-fourth playoff of the Nations League. But it's a third-fourth playoff. It's the Nations League. Not sure how much uh, that's really a thing. But apart from that, they've had three defeats and a draw. And they haven't managed to score more than one goal in any of those matches. So, yikes. Well done, Switzerland, though. Okafor. I mean, that counter-attack for the first goal, the guy was A, on his bike, then had the presence of mind to turn around and find the teammate. And Vidmas finish. Oh, my word. Initially, I thought, well, that's kind of went straight through Donnarumma. And it did go straight through Donnarumma because it was like 200 miles an hour. What, an, what, what mm. a pitch of a hit. And I thought they came across as being quite confident in what they were doing. And as though, as the game went on, I thought you could feel it more and more that the pressure was piling onto Italy. And I think, you know, coming to that penalty, um, I think with Jorginho, it's not that he missed one penalty. I think he missed about five in sort of recent times. So I think that's why the change up. And then he did a Zaza, basically, in, in skying it over the bar. Right, it's the sixth penalty he's missed since the start of last season. So, yeah, on a bit of a run. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah, so they're, they're stacking up. So maybe they should try someone else. Um, but I think, maybe. oh, yeah, also going into this final game, I expect Bulgaria to fold. Uh, so I think Switzerland will get their goals. Could be playoffs again for Italy. You've been, been down this route before, of course, last time against Sweden, against Russia in 97. In the run-up to 98, you know, duh. Anyway, all right, well, that's something to look forward to. Perhaps this happened by the time you hear this, listener. I wonder how it went. Also coming up Monday night and Tuesday. Monday, you've got Scotland-Denmark. If Scotland can beat the Danes and make it six wins in a row, they may well be seeded in the playoffs and have a home semi-final. That's big. A win for Denmark 
would see them achieve, excitingly, the second-best World Cup qualifying campaign record by a European nation ever. They're currently on nine wins out of nine with a plus 29 goal difference. Who had the best ever campaign? Yes, it was Germany four years ago. Ten wins out of ten. Their goal difference was plus 39. What happened then? They finished bottom of their group in Russia. (laughs) (laughs) Can I give a shout-out to Faroe Isles? Um, So Clement Olsen uh, became the first man to score against Denmark in this qualifying cup and with a lovely sort of glanced on header. I mean, he had really no room to work with and he did remarkably well uh, to score. And uh, this guy, he's the, um, I think, historical top scorer in the Faroese League. He plays for NSI uh, Runovic, which is his home village, and it's described as a comparatively urbanised village, a population of 4,000. And mm. uh, he has scored a couple of hat-tricks in Europe as well. And I think this is his ninth goal for um, for the Faroes and his first goal for the Faroes came in the qualifiers against Spain. And I just thought it was an absolutely lovely header uh, to finally, you know, put that perfect defensive um, uh, record of Denmark to, uh, you know, to, to the end. Um, so fair play to him. And Faroe Islands, um, mm. of course, are not going to finish bottom of the qualifying route because I think they're well ahead of Moldova. Where are they? Good good for mm. them. Listener, if you were going to say that Mo Salah is the Faroe's top scorer, then that's a different <laughs> Faroe's. Well done to <laughs> Wales, who had a huge result against Belarus. 5-1. They're at home to Belgium on Tuesday. Uh, a point there will confirm second place and will also increase their chances of being seeded in those exciting playoffs. Now, there's an actual top spot on the line in Group G. Meanwhile, this one really going down uh, to the line. It's currently Netherlands top. Norway and Turkey level two points behind them. And on Tuesday, Norway travelled to the Netherlands while Turkey travelled to Montenegro. Matt, what's going to happen? I'm not sure, but based on what we saw from from the Netherlands, because it, it was real kind of one end of the pitch very good, other end of the pitch really really bad. I love that flick from from Depay uh, for his second mm. goal of the night. But but both goals they conceded, and what were they? Eight minutes to go. I thought Daly Blind was at fault for both of those. Out jumped uh, for one of them, and then should have done done better to keep Montenegro on side for the other. So I, I don't know. Depends if Louis Van Gaal can organise his defence essentially. Right. They're, of course, the favourites with that two-point margin. Norway and Turkey probably going to be dropping into that playoff hat. Very shortly, I have some thoughts on WSL this weekend and that huge Man City-Chelsea game and maybe some other stuff too. But first, some odds with Carl Monaghan of Paddy Power with producer Charlie. Hello, listener. Happy Monday to you. Hey, should be a very happy Monday for England, who just need to avoid defeat in San Marino to qualify for the World Cup. But it's 28 years ago this week that David Galtieri scored after 8 seconds against the Three Lions. Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power, what are the odds of San Marino scoring first? I've always wondered two things after that surreal Galtieri goal, Charlie. Firstly, out of 10, how rubbishly poor was Cycles' attempt at a back pass to Seaman? A one-eyed guess. And secondly, out of 10, how fuming with rage was the late Graham Taylor on the inside when the realisation hit that, yes, that actually just did happen in real life and he needed to win by seven at the very least to have any hope of going through. I'd suggest a solid 10, Charlie, there. But uh, San Marino to score the first in the game is 20 to 1, Charlie. And how about New England boys, Emil Smith-Rowe, or even the likeable Conor Gallagher to score any time, Charlie? Well, we'll give you 8 to 13 about Smith-Rowe any time, and we'll give you 5 to 6 about Gallagher scoring. Mm, might not be a happy Monday for the European champions. Italy are potentially 90 minutes away from being the team Scotland draws in the playoffs. 
Carl, will Mancini's men be beaten in Belfast? You're twisting my melon, Charlie. I just can't see the Italians blowing up here. Roberto Mancini led his country to European honours at Wembley this summer and he's been entrusted by the nation to get the Azzurri back in the hunt for the Coppa del Mundo. Remember, Charlie, Italy have tasted World Cup glory four times and have not made an appearance at the tournament in eight long years. Brazil in 2014 was the last time Italy were seen on the world stage and that's hard to believe. Now Ian Barclough's side have been decent in this campaign and lie third in Group C but it's difficult to see them having the tools to stop this Italian juggernaut who looked destined to get back to the World Cup finals. The traders row in behind me too Charlie. They have Italy priced up at 2-9 to nine to win the game. The draw is 9-2 to two, and Northern Ireland to win it is 11-1. to one. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Totally Football League show will be out on Monday at some time, Matt. Presumably you, you could go and do that after this. Is that right? Yeah, it'll be slightly later than this, given that we haven't started it yet. But we right. will um, we, we will be issuing an apology after what happened on Thursday's show. We had two guests on. Joe yeah. Jacobson, the Wickham captain, absolute right. expert penalty taker. They were playing Portsmouth on Saturday. They've won all but one home game. You know how this goes. They lose 1-0. Joe takes the worst penalty of his life uh, and they don't score. We also had Mark Bonner, the Cambridge manager, on. Absolutely flying uh, in their first season back in League One, unstoppable up until uh, Mark spoke to us on Thursday, and then they got them four-one at MK Dons on Saturday. Um, so sorry to those two. We'll also be talking about new manager potentially at Barnsley, Sweden under twenty-one coach Stevenage have got rid of their manager, and the ingenious mm. method that Lincoln City are using to try and keep crows from burying food on their pitch. They bought some fake Yeah, they bought some fake plastic birds of prey to try and distract them because what's happening is people are leaving odds and ends of hot dogs and burgers and pies and stuff in the stands at Sinsel Bank before they can be cleared out. Crows are coming getting them, but burying the bits they don't eat under the pitch to save for a later date and subsequently spoiling the pitch. So they've bought right. a load of um, plastic birds of prey in an effort to distract them, which is... OK, um, where are they positioning those? Where are they putting the plastic birds of prey? I assume there's a couple of lookouts on top of the Stacey West stand, uh, maybe a couple on the pitch as well. Okay. Um, the weird thing is they have like an air raid siren whenever they get a corner. So you think they could just churn that out for a bit and scare the crows off that way. But yeah, right. more updates onto, onto how effective the plastic birds of prey are as we get them. Yeah, please. Also, you were in a pub in Portsmouth at the weekend? I wasn't in a pub in Portsmouth. I was in a pub near Wembley, which just ah. happened to, to have been uh, sort of stationed off by a bunch of Portsmouth fans, including uh, the one and only John Portsmouth Football Club Westwood, uh, which is quite an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did he have his bell with him? He didn't have his bell with him. Um, anybody with a facial tattoo and a lot of badges on the hat, I tend to tend to give a wide berth. But my friend who I went to the game with is actually a Portsmouth fan. Mm. And John Portsmouth Football Club Westwood deigned to uh, come over to us and speak to my friend Chris and say, hey, I recognise you from Portsmouth Games. And that's seen as like you've got the blessing of, of this, um, right. yeah, this kind of eccentric chap who has legally changed uh, his middle name to Portsmouth Football Club. Crikey. You had a busy weekend because you also took in Man City Chelsea in the WSL. 
WSL, yeah, so it was Women's Football Weekend. We, uh, on Straight Out Cobham, the non-award winning Chelsea podcast from The Athletic, we had our friend Flo Lloyd Hughes on last week to preview the game and she was kind of saying it's a bit of a shame that this has come on Women's Football Weekend because for the last few years it's been the marquee matchup in English women's football and yet coming into it, Manchester City are an absolute shambles and a lot of that, it, it, there's genuine mitigation in, in terms of injury. They're playing their third choice goalkeeper at the moment uh, and she is really not very good at all Karima Taib and they're missing Steph Hall and other defenders too and Chelsea were poor in the first half and yet they were 2-0 up they were gifted a goal from the City keeper in in the first couple of minutes and the second half they they made a a little switch they brought Sophie Ingle on for for Giso Young and were able to take control but it was it's kind of pitiful to see City in the state that they are at the moment and you've got to think that that Gareth Taylor their their manager will be lucky to see out this week and be in charge for their next game I think because they are uh, yeah you know they they have been they they and Chelsea Arsenal to an extent been the preeminent forces in in women's football for a long time now and, and it's kind of since Nick Cushing left and Gareth Taylor took charge that this decline has started for City so yeah it was it was sort of sad to see that the way that they just disintegrated against Chelsea but yeah Chelsea relentless once they got going and, and maintaining this ridiculous record they've scored in every away league game since October 2018 wow okay. which is pretty impressive and yeah they're Very just a point impressive. behind Arsenal now Arsenal needed a, a last minute goal from Vivian Miedema to, to pinch a point in the North London derby against mm. Spurs at Barnet Spurs ruining that uh, Ashley Neville miss with an open goal when it was 1-0. Yeah, shame because she was arguably the player of the match. So um was disappointed for her, obviously. Um, worth giving a shout out to Anita Asante as well, who got the winner for, for Aston Villa at Birmingham in the derby there, which was played at St Andrews. And uh, she's a great player. He's had a, a good career and is sort of a, toward the end of it now. So that's a good moment for her too. Okay, well, much more of that in the Athletics Women's Football Podcast, which is out on Tuesday. And as mentioned, Totally Football League show will be out there sometime with loads of good stuff. We return on Thursday, when, of course, yes, we will have the final verdicts from Monday and Tuesday's international games. And above all, we'll be looking forward to the return of club football at the weekend. So do make sure you join us for that. Listener, for now, many, many thanks to Sasha Gurionov, to Julian Laurence, and to uh, Matt Davis-Adams, producer Charlie, and you, listener, not necessarily in that order. Have a great week. Speak to you Thursday. Bye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.